just even the stories with people that um, come through these doors just to see how people are still persevering in the midst of like some of the things they're going through is encouraging because it speaks of God's work in their lives, you know, and, and uh, so I'm thankful that we're still here. I'm thankful that he's still working. I'm thankful that you're here with us. And uh, the very fact that you're here is a sovereign act of God. You know, God, before anything was made, knew you'd be here today. And he set it up so that we can enjoy uh, uh, with each other and also enjoy um, his work as we share our stories. I would encourage you to get to know people, man. Some of the stories we have in our church of people that have been through so many things, um, it's just amazing to see, like, how the Lord continues to work in people in spite of the pain, in spite of the sufferings they're going through. Uh, just to see how perseverant people are still uh, speaks of God's continued grace in our lives. So I would encourage you, man, uh, I can name some people, but I won't, of people you should get to know uh, in our church. It's been a blessing to see the Lord work. So we've been going through the Gospel of James, like we said, the letter of James written to a persecuted people, dispersed people. We are in verses 19 through 21 today. Um, and so if you could turn your Bibles there, verses 19 through 21, starting in verse 19, James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is the word of the Lord. And we definitely want to glorify you, Lord. We want to magnify you. We want to cling to you. We want to see you in your word today. And so, Lord, help me not to be audience-driven, but to be worship-driven. And I pray for your people to be attentive to your word, your word that brings life, that is bread to our soul. God, as I prayed earlier, Lord, I just feel a strong need to pray for those that are suffering and pain, tempted and tried. Lord God, would you help us be perseverant to take joy and delight no matter the circumstances. So God, I pray that as you bring correction today through your word, that you would also, as you're cutting, that you would heal. You're, you're the master surgeon taking out cancers in our lives so that we can live lives abundantly for your glory. We love you and we thank you. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Last week we covered verses 17 through 18, right? And we began to talk about the Father's gifts. James had a concern about believers being deceived by the lie that God was the one tempting. We know that not to be true, right? He corrected that by telling them the truth that it is God who actually gives you the means to overcome temptation. And you know what? God does that generously. He never withholds back what you need in the midst of temptation and trial. So he talked about the perfect gift in our text. The gift was that which lacked no moral quality. It was that which best suits us to live out what God has given us, which we found to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that perfect gift, right? So because desire is the birthplace of sin, 
being lured and enticed is best dealt with with adhering to the Holy Spirit's conviction. The Holy Spirit is in fact a perfect gift that lacks nothing when it comes to empowering believers to overcome. So the perfect gift of the Holy Spirit has been given generously and God, because he does not change, will never be the one who entices anyone to sin. God tempts no one. He's not the instrument pulling on people to sin. He is in fact sovereign over all the trial and temptations we go through. He will even use evil for his ultimate purpose. The Father's will was to bring us forth, which he does by the word of truth, the gospel. That's how we came to be Christian. I was talking with Jim uh, the other week, I think it was Tuesday, doing a worship uh, practice. And we talked about, he brought up the fact that there's two kinds of birthing that we see in James chapter 1. The first birthing we see is man giving birth to sin when enticed and lured by their own desires, which leads to death. But God brings forth life. He gives life to whom he wills by the word of truth, the gospel. We found that this literally spoke of the goodness of God. We sometimes have lost the depth and the reality of how good God is. If it was God's will that brought us forth to be Christian, to be saved, and if God gave generously the perfect gift to us, if God does not change, then the believer can fully trust that God will be faithful and generous to us in a time of need, especially when tempted and tried. Matter of fact, this is where we get our assurance. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God willed for us to be brought forth, meaning that he gave us life. And because of this, we will be the first fruits of his creatures. God spoke so like amazingly about us, like he thinks highly about us. He loves us to so call us first fruits of his creatures. Where God considers us special in his sight, prized and cherished. So much that the descriptions given about those of faith are intimate. Portraits and scripture calling us his bride. What an amazing truth. I can keep going with a lot of things that God has said about his church. That spoke intimately about her, about us. And you know what? If we are his bride, his prized possession, cherished by God, he will give us what we what we need in the midst of temptation and trial. He gives us what we need. So we should respond in a way that speaks of his provision in our lives. We shouldn't walk around broke. We shouldn't walk around with our heads down complaining. We, sh we should be the most joyful people on the planet for what God has done in Christ. We should be steadfast, enduring, and also patient. So in our outline today, uh, we're going through verses 19 to 21. The first point I want to point out is what every person should do in verse 19. What every person should do. Second, what believers should not produce. Verse 20. 
What believers should not produce, verse 20. And third, what believers should put away and receive. What believers should put away and receive. So James, in our first point, begins here to tell his readers to know or to understand what he is about to say to them. He addresses them as beloved brothers, which he does three times in this letter. We read before where he desired his beloved brothers not to be deceived. In verse 16, we read that. Then later in chapter 2, verse 5, James addressed them again as beloved brothers. I saw a pattern in the book of James where every time James uses beloved brothers, he's showing a concern and a warning to them. So in verse 16 of James 1, he tells them not to be deceived by thinking that God tempts people to sin because it is God who gives us what we need to overcome trials and temptations, beloved brothers. He tells them, or calls them beloved brothers in uh, James 2, 5, where he tells them not to treat the poor differently than the rich. And then in our text, he warns about every person needing to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Can I get an amen on that and an ouch? That's an ouch today. Especially for y'all, I'm not going to go here. Because I'm included in that, so I got to back off a little bit. James wants them to understand this. And he does it in a way of warning, caution, and concern. When, every, when speaking of every person, James is talking about all of mankind. Every man, woman, and child should understand that they should be quick to hear. Even the world understands this principle. Well, they should. We'll get to that. To be quick here means to hurry, to be swift, to hear, uh, as some translations have put it, to be swift, to be quick, to be fast. He's telling them to be fast, swift to listen. He's telling them to be swift, to, to pay attention before speaking. Can I get it? Ouch. James is prioritizing listening over speaking. You know what? This is nothing new in Scripture, by the way. I think the Hebrews would have understood what the Proverbs said about actually listening before you talk. Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So in context, why would James be so concerned with persecuted believers when it comes to being swift or quick to hear? Well, he was concerned for their conduct on how to deal with situations without listening first to what to do about them. Remember, they were persecuted. So then the following question is this. What should the believer listen to when persecuted or opposed or angry? What should you do and what should I do when opposed and angry? What should we listen to? Now, this was very uh, it was convicting to me since I have fallen short. You have fallen short when being, you know, faced with opposition and people that just push the buttons, if you know what I'm saying. You always got those people pushing buttons on you. I had a lot of those at work. Well, when I used to work last year. I still got some of y'all here in church to push some buttons. You know what I mean? But that's just how life is. We have people that push buttons. We have people that God allows in our lives to push us to the point of feeling anger, frustration. This was very convicting when I read this. 
But you know what? God's word is very clear about this. James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote to persecuted saints who were facing severe persecution. And their conduct before God here was to be prioritized nonetheless by listening first. They should be swift to listen to what God has to say. And if God inspired to write to the churches who were scattered here, that they should be quick to listen, it follows for us also, saints. James is speaking about every person and what they should do, including us. This reminded uh, me even of how we ought to be cautious since Jesus told, you know, he spoke of the words that we speak and how we would be accountable for every idle word we say. Listening first, saints, helps with what to say, especially in situations of persecution, trial, and temptation. What I have found interesting is that in temptation, those who desire to sin refuse to listen. That's a pattern I've seen. They see the advice of adhering to what the Bible says as a threat to wanting to their desire to gratify the flesh. These people flee accountability, they isolate themselves, and they avoid any question or challenges to what they want to do. And all I've wanted to do, or any, anyone who tries to hold someone accountable, is to say, this is what God's word has to say. James wanted to tell believers that every person should be very quick to listen First, because external circumstances like trials and temptations can actually bring out of us things that we actually thought weren't there. Things that are contrary to what God wants us to do. After telling them that they should be quick or swift to listen, to pay attention, James tells them uh, to be slow in two things. Number one, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. He's telling them to be slow to talk. Be slow when it comes to saying anything that comes from your mouth. Be very slow when communicating things. Proverbs 10.19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That should have been an ouch. In the context of being persecuted, you might imagine that there could be a lot of things that someone would say when persecuted. You know what? The culture we live in does not help with the need to prioritize listening or paying attention over speaking. Our culture doesn't do a good job with this. This, you know, the other thing is I've noticed there was a tension in the church where people are being accused of not saying anything. And then there are others that are accusing people for saying everything. But there are some times when the church should say things about sins and injustices happening in our culture. Podcasting helps since you can listen to, you know, podcasting, right? You put the headphones on, you listen. So I believe we got that right, but where we get it wrong is social media. Social media has given the false sense of entitlement to say whatever is in your mind to say. To say it publicly, whatever it is, with no consideration about what it would produce. And you know what? The problem in our culture is that we don't live in a slow-to-speak culture. It's a quick-to-say culture. Whatever you want to say culture. Post anything about 
what you want to say, culture. But this is a problem, saints, and I believe as a result of a slow-to-listen culture. We are not taking time to think about what is being said and what we should say. Instead, we react quickly to what is said, which only produces reactions that are immature and without substance. We live in a very shallow culture. Sometimes when somebody says something, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, Kirk Kennedy calls it platform epistemology. They learn just by going to conferences or YouTube videos. They watch the five-minute video on church history and think they're now an expert. And then when you start digging in, they don't know anything. We need to be quick to listen, to observe. You know, we have seen the abuse of being quick to speak. We should instead observe and listen first and then be slow to speak after, being careful about what to say. See, James had a concern for those who were scattered in our text, treated lowly and persecuted. These circumstances can test the heart. And it can actually push the believer at that time to emotions and mental battles that can cause them to fall trapped to what their desire was pushing them to do, which is mainly to be vengeful and pursue revenge. They probably struggled with anger in their hearts. Proverbs 17.27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Being slow to speak in this culture definitely can be difficult, but it is what God desires for the believer to do. James is really telling believers to restrain their words. He's not telling them to be silent, but to be careful about what to say. He tells them that they should understand this. They should know this. They should know this to be best for them, for their Christian witness, especially when feeling anger and frustration. The second thing to be slow about here is to be slow to anger. Anger here speaks of fury and wrath. One resource actually brought up the description of being impulsive. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So anger hinders the ability to understand things clearly. You ever been there? You ever been there where you were so angry and you did things and then you regretted what you did? It is interesting that James doesn't say don't ever be angry, but that every person should be slow to anger. In other words, one should be patient and careful about the anger they feel. One should be slow to speak when they feel fury and wrath within themselves. And they should learn to be like God, who is himself slow to anger. We should be slow, slow enough to keep our understanding so that anger does not take us hostage. I'm guilty of that, especially when somebody's in my face. When somebody's in my face, it's like ghetto wants to come out. Hood wants to come out. You don't know me wants to come out. You know what I mean? That comes out. That's like right there, and I'm just like, bro, you don't know me. Like, back off. That wants to come out. That wants to take me hostage. 
There's a saying that says, an angry man is again angry with himself when he returns to reason. I found myself with much regret when I've allowed anger and rage to dictate what I say. Someone who values understanding and allows themselves to be controlled by anger actually will regret it because it's not what they were supposed to do. You know what? Paul also wrote to the Ephesian church about this. He wanted them to put away sins they were tempted with. He told them to put away falsehood, exhorting them to speak the truth to one another. In Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, Paul said this to the Ephesian church. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anger can give the devil opportunity to cripple your understanding when feeling anger. It was probably the case with the persecuted church at the time. We lose discernment when allowing anger to control us. Matter of fact, we've lost self-control at that point. It's interesting that in Galatians 5, where we have the fruit of the Spirit listed, and we also have the list of the works of the flesh. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, check it, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, he says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He puts fits of anger with sorcery. with idolatry. And then he says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fits of anger speaks really of unbelief. You probably need the gospel at this point. Now, there could be a righteous indignation where anger is caused because of injustices or sin. So feeling angry is not really sinful. It's what you're angry about and how you handle your anger. So where we go wrong is when we are vengeful and express hatred because of anger. This is not a work of the spirit. This is a work of the flesh. It's what the world does. But for the believer, we should be careful about what we say and how we feel because these things will produce something. James writes to show that the anger of man does not produce anything good. And that's our second point, what believers should not produce. So what is the anger of man? Actually, in the verse, he says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What is the anger of man? The anger of man is strong feelings of displeasure where the person desires to react with hostility and vengeance. Let me repeat that again. The anger of man is a strong feeling of displeasure where the person desires to react with hostility and vengeance. The most common word in the Hebrew for anger meant nostril, which some saw as the clearest express, expression of anger. I remember when my mom used to get mad, the first thing I saw was her nose. <laughs> the flaring, she would go like this, and then, you know, she throw stuff at me. You know what I mean? That's what Hispanic moms do, you know what I'm saying, um, back in the day. Um, but that was the first thing. I knew she was angry. When I looked at her face, and the one that was st stuck out was her nose, actually. Her nose turning red. 
Nostril or anger actually meant to have a strong feeling of displeasure over a situation or a person in the Hebrew. It was used figuratively to talk about the nose as changing color. And then there was a, uh, the expression of the long nose, meaning that it actually spoke of God taking long to be angry. It was very figurative in the Old Testament. And this is something that has stood out to us in our study actually through the book of Isaiah, where we see God expressing his judgment, but then also his patience. God has been very patient with us. That God, even when bringing judgment, continued to show his love and even extended to them opportunities to repent. See, the readers of this letter would have been recalling what the Old Testament scripture said. The anger of man was to be avoided because in allowing the anger of man to take us hostage, we will lose looking like Jesus. James wanted God's people to avoid a hot temper, which was sinful for them if they had held to it. But for God, actually, he's the only one that could express anger in a just and perfect way which he does. I've experienced this, like God's displeasure at my sin, conviction. See, James seems to have wanted them to avoid fits of rage, types of anger that came from a sinful disposition, which spoke of a deeper issue. His concern is not with the experience of anger, but what believers do with their anger. So when dispersed, believers experience what they felt because of persecution, yet, James still called on them to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because their conduct mattered. James was concerned with what an angered feeling would produce. Foolish and sinful things have been done out of an angered heart. Can I get an amen? Ever been there? <laughs> That's why Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. So I think what James is saying here and actually calling believers to do is to be like God. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in steadfast love. And only God could express anger without sinning. Believers are called to be like God. Uh, this is not in my notes, but I was thinking, man, the anger that Jesus could have had for how he was treated. How he could have called down legions of angels and be vengeful at that point and actually be right in doing so. Yet he expressed total compassion. I know some of y'all are probably saying, no, I can't do that. Well, he did. And he caused us to follow in his footsteps. Nehemiah, back in the Old Testament, spoke of God being slow to anger. You know, every time in the Psalms that mention God as being slow to anger, it followed with God, you know, being abounding in steadfast love. Whenever the Psalms said he's slow to anger, it followed with he abounds in steadfast love. Four times in the Proverbs, it caused people to be slow to anger. And in all the passages, it describes God as slow to anger. And in all the passages, it calls man to be slow to anger. So it describes God as slow to anger and it commands us to be slow to anger. So the anger we feel 
And neglecting to be quick to hear, neglecting to be slow to speak and slow with feelings of anger, neglecting to do this will not and cannot produce what God desires in us. There is no good fruit in rage being expressed from our hearts. You'll produce destruction, offense, division. That's why it'd be good for y'all to be slow. It'd be good for me to be slow. Because God wants to produce out of us righteousness, good things. So when talking about, and this is, listen, if you're married here today, take some notes. Seriously. Yes, you, <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. She's taking all sorts of notes right now. Take some notes because marriage definitely pushes us to angry places in our lives, frustrations, we lose sight of the gospel in our marriage. Our marriage is supposed to be the picture of the gospel, but it's also the very thing that God sanctifies you to be more like him. And that means pushing you to places where you're, you're gonna experience anger, frustration. So your wife and husband is not your enemy. They're actually the tool in God's hand to sanctify you so that you can be more like him, so that you can produce righteousness righteous living. So when talking, talking about producing here, he's speaking about what could be accomplished, what can be achieved. God is out for the believer here to achieve and accomplish what God has commanded us to do. So what did God say about what should be done when facing circumstances that actually could anger us? Luke 6, 27 to 28, in context with persecuted saints in this letter, Luke 6, 27 to 28 says, but I say to you, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Wow. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. Romans 12, 19. Paul was actually quoting Proverbs 25, 21 to 22 there. Matthew 5, 43 to 47. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So from the Old Testament scriptures, even to the New, we have clear commands on how to deal with situations that can cause us to be angry. What God wants to accomplish in a believer is prayer for enemies, Trusting God to bring about justice, loving enemies so that we can show that we are sons of a father who is himself slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is difficult. I messed up the other week with this. Somebody mouthed off on me. I was just like, you know what I mean? Like, how can I get this, grasp this in the moment where I can see someone in need of Jesus and not allow them to push buttons? Well, actually, the way you do it is remembering that the word of God is the standard. <laughs> 
We could talk biblical, man. You could have all this theology, but God is not so interested in the attainment of info. He's into obedience. He's not into how many sacrifices you give him. He's asking the question, do you love me? See, James is not talking about achieving right standing with God here, which is the problem with legalism. Legalism makes the mistake of making the outcome the root and not the fruit. See, James is concerned with their conduct, but he's not doing it at the expense of understanding that there's a deeper issue that needs to be dealt with. Legalism confuses the two. Legalism concerns itself with the outward only, with no regard with internal or heart change. Legalism is more concerned with conformity to standards and not to Jesus and not a love for him. James is not telling them that right standing with God happens if you keep your anger in check, but rather he's telling them that if they actually conduct themselves in a way that's righteous, it's an extension of what God has already done in their hearts. He's not saying to do this for right standing with God, but because of right standing with God. That's what he's after, saints. Anger unleashed does not show the God we love, who is himself slow to anger and abounding in love. Anger unleashed cannot show people what our love for Jesus looks like. And you know what? James is concerned about this here. When angry, be quick to hear, slow to speak, not only because it won't produce good fruit, but if you love God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, we should do these things because he loves us and because we love him. It is what he has done for us. Don't forget Romans 5, 8 through 11, where he said this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. When you come off angry, you're not speaking a message of reconciliation. You're speaking a message of wrath and judgment. When we talked about in Isaiah, like God would have been unjust by just speaking about wrath and judgment. He would have. He, he, he doesn't leave his people there. He made a covenant with his people. So covenantally, God was ob God had to, when he spoke judgment, he had to speak of the covenant promise he made. You know what? Since we live on that covenant, to give someone just wrath and anger, we're actually cutting the branch we're sitting on. So what should be produced from us? What is the righteousness of God? I believe it's the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 22 through 25, talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are the result of being made right with God. They are achievable because of the work that God is doing in us. Which is why if it is achievable when experiencing anger, we actually take full responsibility for sinning in the process. The righteousness of God cannot be shown with a hot-tempered, untethered heart. We're to put that away. 
The life of the Christian is a life of putting away sin and receiving the word. You want to know what the Christian life is? That's our third point, what believers should put away and receive. In verse 21, he says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So in closing, James wanted the church, God's people, to know that we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because an angered heart full of rage cannot produce what God has called us to do. He told them to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. To put away here means to stop, to cease from doing. One lexicon actually put it this way, keep in prison. Like we used to say, you know, oh, he got put away. That meant he got locked up. To be put in prison. It spoke of truly taking off and not putting on. James spoke of two things that they are to stop doing. First, filthiness. And notice that James first said all, all of it. He's not saying he lay some of it down, as we uh, you know, talked about before. James is not sympathetic to them of falling short. He's not making excuses. He's saying take care of it all. All the filthiness, put it away. He's not giving excuses. Filthiness here speaks of moral impurity or moral filth. Actually, used once here in the New Testament, it speaks of baseness, lacking moral principles, having bad character. He's saying put away all bad character. Put away all actions that lack moral principle. James may have heard of some in the faith who struggled with being morally upright when persecuted. He wanted to make sure that they kept their testimony. The word filthiness had the sense that one showed behavior that made them look unclean, which is the opposite of who the Christian is. We've been made clean. Why is it that we look unclean when angry? There was much to say to believers in the New Testament who struggled to put things away like filthiness. Some people say, man, I wish we can go back to the New Testament church on how it was. Read Galatians. Read 1 Corinthians. Read the book of Revelation and some of the letters that he said to the church. I'll take your lampstand because y'all are tripping. Y'all, you ain't being the church. The church was always struggling with issues. And in this case, it was filthiness. Having a bad character. That's not showing the love of God. Throughout the letters, we see that falsehood was to be put away from the church. Bitterness, wrath, anger. Shouting in anger, which is the word clamor, slandering, having malice. He, even in the letters they told the church, Paul told the church to stop from obscene talk, hypocrisy, and envy. We're too quick to judge the church. The church is always going to have people in it that are wrestling through issues. Don't be so quick to judge the church. Be very careful, man. I tell people, spend five minutes at Christ alone. You'll see some issues and flaws right away. It doesn't mean that God is not at work. The authors of the New Testament were addressing issues within the church in their time and told them to stop. And the reason is because by doing these things, they look no different than the world. 
These things did not display the righteousness of God. They come from our sinful desires, which can manifest easily from an angered, vengeful heart. We should not lack moral principles that comes from God, nor should we reveal a questionable character when it comes to situations that press us and challenge us. The second thing he told them to stop, to put away, was rampant wickedness. The word rampant's not negative. It's actually, it actually means abundance, a surplus of something, a lot of something. But wickedness is the concern for James here. Wickedness here speaks of an evil and hateful feeling or action. Translators use trouble, malice, evil to describe it. James wanted those who were scattered and dispersed to stop all actions that came from being angered to the point of desiring to do evil to others. This would have been a temptation for those here in our text. In fact, it seems to have been a lot of that happening. Again, it is to be noted that the encouragement to do what is right is prioritized over their need and how they felt. It seems that James wanted them to stop showing actions that spoke opposite of what God called them to do. The biblical truths given to the church dealt with this. Remember, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're blessed if you're persecuted. Rejoice in it so far as you share in Christ's suffering. You can rejoice in suffering. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Blessed are you when people hate you. I'm blessed when people hate me. I don't feel blessed, but you are blessed. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I just read to you scriptures. James also is telling his readers to stop with all the moral failings and the rampant wickedness, the evil actions, because it does not show who God is. There is no excuse, saints. James wanted the church to know that we are to be swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because an angered heart full of rage cannot produce what God has called us to produce. Now, this is a very difficult call for the Christian, but listen, it is achievable because he has given us the perfect gift. <laughs> And we can be his church. We can be believers who love on the world that hates us. And we're called to be perseverant in our love. Theodore Beza made a famous response to King Henry of Navir where he said this. He says, Sire, it is truly the lot of the church of God for which I speak to endure blows and not to strike them. But may it please you to remember that it is an anvil, talking about the church, which has worn out many hammers. So no matter the trial, no matter the heaviness of it, God's people are called to be perseverant. <laughs> that no matter how many times we get struck or attacked, we can stand faithful. We have his word that we are always to be adherent to. But to receive his word with meekness, the implanted word that he has given us. So instead of falling short in our conduct and reacting with anger, we are to receive with meekness the word. 
This is what we are to do. We are to believe, to receive and readily accept with gentleness or humility the implanted word. He's using farming language here, actually. The implantment that happened in our hearts through the word of God was placed in our hearts. It speaks of something marked by being deeply fixed or set within something. When he talks about implanted. It speaks of something planted inside. James is using the language of farming. Where a seed is planted and takes root. You remember Matthew 13, 23. As for what was sown on good soil. Talking about the heart of man. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit. So the implanted word, which is the message of the gospel, saves us. And you're continually being saved by it. Because it is able to save our souls. I was thinking of Martin Luther at this time where he stood before the council that accused him of blasphemy. They charged him to recant what he wrote against the Roman Catholic Church that was full of perversion and issues. Even with his life being threatened, he was convinced, actually, that he would lose everything. He, you know, uh, I think he stood there thinking it was going to be his last day living. Even with his life being threatened and everything that was said to him to recant, to take back what he said, Luther said this, my conscience is bound to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is dangerous to act against conscience. He said, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. This is what the implanted word looks like in the life of a believer who's even at the place of losing their lives that could speak from the very word of God that they can trust God and not go against what God says. So saints, we can be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and we can produce good things from a life that God has bought through his son. Lord, help us. Would you help us look like you? Would you help us in our marriages, in our relationships, in issues, Lord God, where we want to be quick to anger. We want to be quick to say something. We want to be vocal. We want to post things right away. We're even offended, Lord God, at people we hardly know on our Facebook accounts. We get easily offended, easily distracted, but Lord, help us to focus on our need to produce that things will come out of us that are righteous and holy. God, if we struggle with anger, bitterness, or fury in our hearts, help us to remember that you are steadfast, that you are immovable, you are loving, you are gracious to us who deserved all wrath and judgment. So God, help us to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. We know that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so, Lord, help us to repent for actions that spoke against the very gospel we believe. Help us to conduct ourselves, Lord God, in situations, Lord, where we're tested, where people may be saying things about us or even threatening us. 
Help us to be loving. Give us the grace to show the world who you are by the way we love one another and the way we love them. Help the church be the church. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your work in us. We, apart from you, we can do nothing. So we rely completely on you, God, to work in us because, Lord, we've tried to put away things in our hearts and sometimes we can't. Sometimes the experience is real. Sometimes we experience it for weeks. But, Lord, help us to be rooted in your word, to look to your word that we would not sin against you, that we could recall it is written. Help us to be obedient to your word. We love you and we thank you.